the hype train is and we're like oh my god this is terrible we're uh, so good can we just stop that crap Ireland could win the World Cup let's be honest oh Shane I could no why are we so afraid no. of this OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app now a special treat for us the legendary rugby author Peter Bills is with us in studio he's in uh, Dublin at the moment obviously because there's a big game on tomorrow but uh, also to uh promote his new book which is called Le Coq A Journey to the Heart of French Rugby Peter how are you? Oh good thank you I'm grand You're looking uh, forward to the game alright? Obviously very very familiar to the Irish rugby sporting um, public you, you were the chief rugby writer for the independent group for how long? Oh about 8, 9, 10 years Right very yeah, good Yeah which was a hell of a challenge working for papers all in the group all around the world so literally you've got a 24 hour clock minute you finish an article for Dublin, you're thinking of London, then you're thinking of South Africa, and then you're thinking of Auckland, which uh, was interesting, trying to fit some sleep in. I'd say uh, so, and also uh, different rugby cultures, different um, demands and expectations from the fans. Absolutely. Um, New Zealand, an incessant driving force in the entire nation um, that nobody can understand apart from them. Um, Australia, cool at times offhand, disinterested about the fourth, fifth most popular sport in Australia. So they're going to have to ramp that up before their World Cup in four years' time. And uh, this wonderful sort of growing spirit and flow of, uh, in support of rugby in Ireland, which I think is, is just wonderful. Before I get to the book, tell me briefly your thoughts on, on what might happen uh, in tomorrow's game and, and just how important a match it actually is in the context of the wider season. Well, I remember the night before the World Cup final in 2012, I was in New Zealand, I was on television and somebody said, what do you think? France had been wiped away the whole tournament, New Zealand, and three panellists, one said New Zealand by 25, uh, the other said by 30, I said by 20, and it was 9-8. So forecasts, it's dangerous with me involved. But I would say that... I think if Ireland truly believe, I think they can win this match. And I, I disregard the injuries. Look, every side has injuries. At times, every side is going to lose a key player. Coaches like Andy Farrell well know that. That's why they have a, a, a base of players and they can slot them in. They, they know what's required, those who come in. So I think that, that if Ireland absolutely believe in themselves, they can certainly beat France tomorrow. You've written a book about French rugby um, in the year that they're hosting a World Cup. Um, is there extra pressure on them as the host nation? Is it is it automatically simply in the plus column when you're the home team that you're going to benefit from all of the the impact that being the host nation has or is there also just that extra little bit that maybe we hadn't considered up to this point that um, it, uh, expectation is a weird thing pressure is a weird thing well if I go back to that example I said earlier New Zealand 2012 I mean the pressure was just building exponentially through the whole tournament in the end it was like just treading on a, on a high wire they knew one slip they were dead and the whole nation would come on their backs You've got to learn to live with that pressure. The All Blacks have learned to live with it down the years because it's always been there. I don't think it has with the French, and I think the point you make is very good. Can the French handle this expectation? Because, boy, it's really going to be massive, absolutely huge in France throughout this tournament. So you have uh, literally journeyed to the heart of French rugby. What's your instinct? For Whether or not they can deal with the pressure. Whether they can deal with it. I think they will, but I think when you come down to it, on the day... Let's face it, probably the top four sides in the world, Ireland, France, South Africa, New Zealand, they are 
beyond everyone else at the moment. And either of those four can beat any one of the others. Now, if Ireland, let's say, beat France or beat South Africa in the quarter-final, you still don't know if they're going to win. They might go out to the All Blacks in the semi-final. New Zealand, if they get through the pool, which they will, will have three games to become world champions. They could easily do that. Yeah. Well, not easily. Okay. But they could, yeah. But they could. For sure. And Ireland could do it as well. So I think it's going to be one of the most even World Cups we've ever seen. Um, talk to us about the book. What was it that made you feel like now's the time because you, you've written a book about um, New Zealand rugby before called The Jersey is this a companion piece in some respects? No I think look I've had this this love for, for French rugby down the years virtually since I've sort of kicked a rugby ball but at no great level I have to say but French rugby's always fascinated me. I think the passion, the spirit, the, the violence even at times going back in the day was just abhorrent. Uh, I hated it but in the middle of this terrible violence you get the most brilliant, highly skilled, flowing movement that would just blow your socks off. And you'd think, where did that come from? Uh, compared to all the sort of fists and the boots into heads that had preceded it. So I've always loved French rugby. I love France. I spent half my life in France. And it just seemed a natural thing to do with, obviously, the, the, the peg of the World Cup this, this autumn. So uh, that violence that you talk about, um, is it endemic? Is it, is it still there? Well, there have been individual instances. I mean, look at the 2019 World Cup. The French lot, Vahamahina, sent off when France were winning in the quarterfinals against Wales. Cost them maybe the World Cup. He was sent off. They couldn't handle it. Wales won by a point. So I think that that is one of the biggest questions against France. Have they truly got hold of this uh, indiscipline? And can they live with the pressures? And can they perform under the pressures without resorting to indiscipline? Over the course of the book, the, the violence features in, in, in various stages. There's um, a story of uh, an, an all everybody in, basically, in, um, it, it's one of the tourists who's come to uh, live and work in France as a, as a rugby player who's kind of like, I did not expect this. Where did this come from? Um, what, what, is it, what is that little aspect of their culture? Is, is it... Is it that this rugby strata, in, that they're all so closely aligned and you always fight most with your brother? Is that what it is? I think, yeah, I think there's, it's, all, it's almost a tribal thing. I think you've got these strong regions and then when you break down the regions and go into them, you've got huge rivalries between towns. I mean, back in the day, they're not the power they were today, but back in the day, clubs so close together, Pampignon, Narbonne, Béziers, Montpellier, even Nîmes, I mean, when they faced each other, it was like a war. And it, it was fighting for local rights. We are the kings of this region and nobody, particularly on their home ground, the French have an obsession about losing a match at home. It's simply intolerable. So I think it, they often resorted to this violence. As I say, I mean, even people who loved the French game were appalled by the violence at times. And the flip side is obviously the incredible uh, creativity and talent and I, it's it's you know it's hard not to reach for all the cliches of um, the enigmatic French backs that thrilled everybody over the years particularly in the 80s when there wasn't that much to be thrilled about when most of the rugby was you know let's face it, when we look back on it not great to watch and then France would out of nowhere come and the shorts would still be wide at the end and um, they'd score amazing tries in the corner but where did that come from? Oh, they've always had this this uh, ability to do that. I mean, it's a God-given gift. And one of the points I wanted to make in this book 
was or examine was France's role in developing rugby through the last century. And when you remember those times, and we all remember the staggering tries the French have scored. I mean, the one from behind their own goal line at Twickenham a few years ago after England missed a goal kick. And two, two minutes later, less than two minutes later, they're scoring at the other end without England touching the ball. They have this genius. They have this vision. The World Cup winning Australian coach Bob Dwyer says they are the best in the world at creating space for others. He said most players in any team in the world can create space for themselves. But he said you've got to be supremely talented to create space for others and those around you. And he said the French do it seamlessly. Is that coached at an early age as well? Are the, the players... Uh, incentivized to do that at an early age, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it comes from the fun element. I talked to guys, some of the great legends of the sport in, in this book, like Blanco, Reeve, Vilpra, and they, they remembered how they just played for fun. The coaches then were hardly influential. They just played for fun. They got the ball and they tried all sorts of crazy tricks and talented things, and they were encouraged to go out and play to enjoy it. Obviously, professionalism has brought another dimension, but that talent still is there. On a socio-economic level, what, what's the story with rugby in France? Um, it, it, just a, is it the same as other countries, or who plays rugby in France? Oh, I mean, literally from the very start, and the game was introduced in 1870 by, by Oxbridge students who were working in Le Havre and Bordeaux in the wine trade, particularly in Bordeaux. But these guys were sort of, um, uh, they, they introduced the game and everybody, unlike a country like England, where it was really only for the upper classes, Everybody played this game in France immediately. They loved it. So you had the, the local doctor playing with the local bar owner, the cafe owner with the garage mechanic. Everybody embraced this game in France, and they always have. And that is why I think local passions have been so inflamed at times. We are fighting for the honour of our town, our village, and nobody's going to get past us. And is that the future of the, the sport in, in France as well, that it is actually uh, a broad base? It, it's not just a geographical spread either, is it? No, I mean, people say the southwest is the cent central point of rugby in France. Well, you've got Toulon in the southeast, you've got Montpellier on the Mediterranean, and you have the two French, the two top 14 clubs in Paris. So it's not just down in the southwest. Yeah, that's a fabulous hotbed of the game, but there's plenty of other areas um, up the Rhone Corridor, so great clubs maybe not the top 14 but they're still tremendously keen ambitious clubs and uh, it's it's pretty well spread because there's even now clubs in division two in normandy and Brittany thrusting and trying to get into the top 14 what was the bit that surprised you the most as somebody who is obviously a francophile and has spent so much of your time living in france when you were writing the book what was the bit that you uncovered that you were like i didn't i actually didn't know this I did a, one of the chapters that I felt I had to write was when I got to Bézier. Bézier and violence go hand in hand, like a hand and a sort of hand warmer almost on a cold day. It was amazing what I dug out about that, I think. I mean, so many deaths from young Bézier players, terrible injuries, awful car crashes... Um, one Bézier guy was banned forever playing for France anymore because he punched a guy on the line out and the guy was blinded in one eye. Bézier built their dominance in the 70s and 80s on one word, violence. They were the most violent team in Europe. 
And it was, it led, the whole thing has led to some awful incidents in, in Béziers. The Lucid Pro Armand Vacarin um, played a game one night in his cafe in Béziers with a stranger who came in and said, do you know Russian roulette? Let's try. And Vacarin took first go and blew his brains out. It kind of typified Béziers and this awful image of violence. And even in 2021, one of the club's most promising youngsters, an 18-year-old, who won two cadet championships of France for, for Béziers, was killed in a terrible road accident. And it just seems Béziers is linked to this violence. Whether it's a curse, I don't know, but it's a pretty awful thing. And I, I really felt that was an essential part. This isn't just about sort of grand slams and, and good champagne. There's a lot more to French rugby than that, and I hope the book reflects it. Wow, okay. That, that's fascinating stuff to hear about, because, um, you know, it's it definitely that sense of the violence being such a uh, phenomenal part of it, but we also, I think, probably have a tendency to glamorise it a little bit as a retrospective, This these things happened that was just a function of the time, but it really wasn't. Everybody else wasn't also doing this at the same time. No, I mean, there were obviously more punches than today because today you've got three people, officials watching, you've got three million watching on television. So a slight punch in the ribs in the middle of a mall is going to be picked up. So you might get sent off anything because the referees are constrained. But I think it's... Um, yeah, I, th I think it, it it was always a big, big part of French rugby. And it's been a tough, long, painful process to get them out of that. But to me, I've written about rugby all my life. Violence never should have been a part of it, and it certainly never should be now, given the stories that are emerging, particularly now. Do you think that the strength of the league is going to persist, that... Um because we're obviously seeing English rugby going through the period that it's going through at the moment where, uh, you know, really famous names as clubs are no longer exist the same way that they did. And it's hard to see a way out for those clubs who have been spending and involved in that arms race in, in terms of just spending money all the time without having had the backup of a TV deal um, or the bums on seats and enough numbers to, to justify the spending. Did they has the same thing happened in France except that the owners are so rich that it hasn't mattered or uh, what's going on there? No, it's it's quite different in France. For a start, there's a there's a tough uh, set of restrictions and laws in place that if you turn up and say right, well I'm buying Bowden Barrett next week and you're the president of a club, this organisation linked to the FFR, the Federation of Rugby in France, says, fine, we want to see your balance sheet, we want to see where this money's coming from, we want to know exactly where what the source is, and this goes all through French rugby. The other thing about it is, as Ronan Agara says in the book about La Rochelle, they've got one wealthy guy, yes, and he certainly put some money in but it's not him alone that is funding this great success story at La Rochelle. You've got, when they when they tried to sort the club out early in the 90s, the club owed two million euros or pounds or whatever it was, and they went to all through the region, they went to many, many towns that were way out of, outside La Rochelle, like Saint Royan, not massive cities, but big towns, and they went to every single business. And they said, we want you to become part of La Rochelle. And these people said, we're working in Sant, it's not La Rochelle. And, and the rugby people very, very astutely said, this will be a club for the entire region. Do you know how many sponsors there are today of that club 
in France, 650. Wow, okay. Now, if you've got that stability, you're not going to have too much of a problem. So there's uh, sustainability yes. built into uh, the dominance of the top four team when it comes to being able to sign world-class players. Very much yeah. so. You can't pull the wall over. I mean, when Wasps went bankrupt in England, they had debts of £100 million. How can a rugby club run debts like that? The, the other thing I think that they did, and, and um, obviously French rugby is mired in controversy at the moment off the field, but uh, the insistence that a certain number of players had to come through the Espoir system and the, the GIF players that we always hear Ronan talking about as well, they, they were very nakedly pro the national team or at least being pro uh, French players coming through. It took them a long time to build a good quality relationship between the national side and the top 14 sides but eventually they got there with that before that though they put in rules in, in place the rules where you couldn't flood your team with the best players from around the world you had to have some focus on, on getting your own talent yeah and I think rightly so because they realised that if they just burned this French identity which has been the driving force of the whole sport in France for a hundred or more years it would probably die. You'd have no identity. These players don't have a particular allegiance to which club. They can play two seasons at one and hop over to another for a bigger signing fee. There are still people today in France, plenty of them, who think there are still far too many overseas players. As someone said to me, Andre Boniface, one of the greats, he said, we don't need all these players. We've got so much talent coming through. And Roland, I know, feels the same way, although he's got several overseas players there. Yeah, well, it's working out okay for them it at is. the moment. Um, Peter, the, the book, I, I wish you the very best of luck with it. Is there anything else that you think um, we should be asking you about before you head off? Oh, I think, it, uh, just to explain it briefly, I think it, it, the point about the book is if you want to know who kicked penalty goals and Johnny Wilkinson's every kick for the last 15 years, it's not the book for you. There's recipes in it. Um, when I get to particular regions, I look at the wines and try to recommend some. There's, there's cult explaining the French culture and the architecture and, the, and this unique sort of feeling in all these different rugby towns. So it's a book that is about an awful lot more than just rugby. It's called A Journey to the Heart of French Rugby, Le Coq by Peter Bills. Thanks so much for joining us, Peter. My pleasure. Thank you.